IndieCast is presented by Uproxx's Indie Mixtape. Hello everyone and welcome to IndieCast. On this show we talk about the biggest indie news of the week, we review albums and we hash out trends. In this episode we'll be talking about new albums by Lucy Dacus, Lightning Bug, and Faye Webster. My name is Stephen Hyden, and I'm joined by my friend and co-host, Ian Cohen. Ian, how are you? You know, some days you just wake up ready to talk about Rooney, and that's, you know, t- <laughs> today is one of those days. And uh, look, in my defense... Rooney? Yeah. It, what, what, what's Rooney? What, what's the Rooney news? Okay, so in my defense, uh, I've been working on a very um, in-depth piece for uh, Uproxx.com about a, about a band that is... Um, highly correlated with VOC and and so you know that stuff's been on my mind a lot of late and you know for me the definitive episode of that show in my mind is not one that involves you know Phantom Planet or Death Cab but this is how I remember this episode so I'm just going to assume this is the way it actually happened but Rooney is on the show and you know, a Rooney concert is a major, major plot point. Every third or fourth word out of the cast's mouth happens to be Rooney. Like, hey, you guys going to the Rooney show? No, I can't go to the Rooney show. The Rooney tickets are sold out at the Rooney show. Wow, of course it is because it's it's this is how it goes. And um, I I I just love that episode because it it I, I've recognized lately that it the that it uh, standardized a TV trope of. When you get a band to guest star in a show and everyone just seems like inordinately excited about their presence. Um, Wasn't that like 90210 though? Like I remember 90210 had the episode where... Flaming Lips. uh, Yeah, the Flaming (laughs) Lips play the Peach Pit inexplicably. So I think they laid the groundwork... But then, um, which by the by the way, the OC. I've never seen an episode of the OC. Uh, we're gonna have. This is gonna be. Uh, this is that's gonna be your billions. Like you're gonna do this, and like every episode, you're gonna come. Like I'm gonna have to ask you how you're doing, and then you're gonna breathlessly retell about like the one time they played this Rogue Wave song that you've forgotten. But you know th- that actually sounds perfect. I that seems like a good summertime watch. Yeah. Uh, to, to dig into the OC, so I think I might do that. I mean, I know enough <laughs> just from. From being in pop culture to know some OC references, so I know like like was Seth Cohen was he actually in uh, the in Rooney like was he a member of Rooney? No, but I feel like Rooney was I feel like Rooney was invented uh, as like a fake band that was on the <laughs> OC and then they became like a real band like they were the monkeys of early <laughs> or the Heights aughts indie yeah something like that oh the Heights yes oh but man I, but... lots of good uh, Heights references yes. by the way because of that musical in the Heights I. I, I I like seeing uh, – uh, who's the main guy in that band? Jamie something? Yeah. Jamie something. Not Jamie Kennedy. No. <laughs> that, Some other Jamie yeah, guy. Yeah, I know exactly who you're talking about. And, like, I'm really failing on a – even for an episode where I'm, like, coming off hot talking about Rooney, I've failed in remembering some guys. But, you know, this – I've thought about this Rooney episode because, like, I see it pop up more nowadays. Like, for example, that Mayor of Easttown episode where – uh, they are like, hey, you going to the Boy Genius concert? And of course, like <laughs> all the internet salutes are realizing, like, absolutely no way Boy Genius was playing shows in 2019 because it's a it's a it's a universe where Mannequin Pussy's album Patience exists. Um, and also, like if you, I'm setting up the chess pieces here, Steve, you might recognize this as like a very Chuck Rhodes axe type move. 
I finally saw the episode of Billions where after the huge capital raising after the huge capital raising event, all the finance bros go to a club and they see their favorite band, The Hold Steady. <laughs> you know, I was going to mention this episode when you were talking about getting into Billions, but I'm like, no, I'm going to let this be a surprise for Ian that The Hold Steady shows up <laughs> and uh what do they play a song? Do they show them playing yeah, a song? I can't remember. Yeah, it's 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 one I, I I couldn't immediately identify which song it was. Um, was it like a new song? It, I would or? imagine. So it it, it, okay. sat, it definitely was post day positive because I know those songs. But um, yeah, it was. It, it's just like yeah. What I mean, I know Bobby Axelrod's really into like Motorhead and Megadeth, and you know he he does seem in some ways a potential Hold Steady fan. But it's it's just the best part is like all the finance bros and fleece vests rocking out to this like new hold steady song. I mean, as a, as a hold steady like super fancy, I think it's fair to identify you as that. Like, do you feel a certain type of way about like the possibility of that being the hold steady crowd, or are you just happy that Greg Finn got paid? Definitely the, the latter. <laughs> I'm I'm happy to see them get some exposure, and hopefully they made a good chunk of change from that. I don't know if they're going to get residuals from that, yeah. but hopefully, uh, Craig and uh, you know Tad and Franz Nicolay, hopefully they're, they're they're cashing some checks from that show. Um, Franz was in that episode, so I guess they. Oh yeah, yes. you gotta have Franz in there. I mean, you know, it's funny you bring up the Mayor of Easttown thing with the Boy Genius show and like how that was outside of their tour cycle. So it somehow breaks the verisim- verisimilitude of uh, that show because it, you know, it would be quite accurate. Like perhaps you would say, I'm going to see a, a Julian Baker solo show in 2019. I think she was on tour yeah. at that time. Um, but, uh, and, 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 you know, I could question whether the Hold Steady would be playing a um a private event for like a high powered hedge fund. I don't know. I heard Deer Hunter would do things like that. You know, which again, God bless them. I mean, it, it, play whatever show you want if if that's going to help uh uh you know, put food on the table. Uh but I I'd, I'd be curious to ask Craig Finn actually if he's ever actually done that in real life. Uh if, if the whole steady gets those kind of gigs. I could see that. You know, it's they're a dude band, you know, for uh, <laughs> lack of a better term. So Yes. The uh the high powered uh, atmosphere of a hedge fund. Yeah. Uh, you throw on uh, Separation Sunday uh, after at the end of a long workday. It uh, it could happen. Um, cranking it, cr- cranking and banking is a good hold steady song name. Like I, <laughs> I actually know people who use that term unironically because they do work in hedge funds. But it's just like I listen to the hold steady because it reminds me of those times in college where I was like you know doing coke behind the uh, you know at the e school or something like that. And now like. It does, there is this element of like nostalgia for like your crazier times. Like I don't, it's not a knock against the whole steady that finance dudes might be into it, but. Oh yeah, yeah. absolutely. I mean, come on. Also, uh, also I got to the episode where they played like gang of youths twice. So <laughs> there you go. Uh, we should bring up, uh, I don't know if this is breaking news. I saw Brian Koppelman tweet that billions is coming back September 5th. Fuck yeah. So I don't know. We're gonna need a special indie cast, uh, you know, yeah, weekly recap. That and succession. Of- like, hopefully, those two shows don't overlap when they come back, because otherwise, we are just like fully pivoting to TV recaps, and also probably like expanding our expanding our listenership by like multitudes. They're like blur. I mean, I, I don't know if this has been talked about a whole lot. Yeah. I mean, I've seen some chatter about it, but billions in succession. That is like the blur and oasis of yeah. uh, 
you know, shows about finance Billions right now. Billions is definitely the oasis of the team. Oh, no question. Yeah, it, it's hardier. It's like, you know, the hoisting the pint band yeah. versus the more maybe, say, esoteric yeah. band or like the hipper band. Uh, I love both shows. Yeah. I think they're both amazing shows. Um, I don't want to spoil the mood here of our opening banter segment, but I feel like yeah. we should do a quick shout out to our boy Mark Hoppus yeah. of, of Blink-182 who announced that he is uh, he's been undergoing chemotherapy for the last few months. Uh, he uh, has been diagnosed with cancer. I don't know what ki- I don't know if he said what kind of cancer uh, he has. I, yeah, I don't know the answer to that off top. Um, but uh, he I think he posted a statement on Instagram and he was very frank. He deleted it too, I think though. Oh, did he? Yeah. I mean, he basically said, yeah. you know, I'm I'm scared, mm-hmm. but I'm hopeful about the future. I mean, very honest. I think it's how anyone would feel in that situation. Uh, but shout out to Mark Hoppus sending him good vibes from IndieCast. Yeah. I know there's a lot of people in the IndieCast community who uh, grew up listening to Blink-182. Maybe you still love that band, uh, but uh, hope he uh, feels better soon. Yeah, I'm, I'm pulling for him as well. Like, from all accounts, just like a really nice guy and... Uh, I'm also interested and I'm not to be like morbid or like make light of it, but like if, you know, Blink-182 is going to like do a Blink-182 type album about cancer where like the songs are about like him shitting his pants and like how he can't get a boner under chemotherapy or if they're going to like lean into like the Rick Rubin direction for like this meditation on mortality that results in this like reappraisal of like a serious reappraisal of blink 182 at the very least i just hope he gets better first and foremost but you know you know this guy does like he pulls from his life to talk about like whatever's going on so the blink 182 cancer album it's it's like when joey ramone made one like that i think back in the day like when he was i wonder i wonder if he'll go the opposite direction and make a totally old school silly blink 182 album like i'm happy i'm alive i i don't want to dwell on the darkness in my life. So let's let's just go back to like 1997 and run around naked in public. Uh, you know, maybe, so it could be that. Yeah. Uh, which, in a way, I hope he goes in that direction more than like the, you know, black and white acoustic stripped down Rick Rubin record. I don't think anyone wants that. Uh, you know, that's not their strengths. You want to hear them. It's the joie de vivre. That's why people love that band. You hear that band and, and you're happy. And, uh, so he's given a lot of happiness to people, Mark Hoppus. So uh, yeah. we, we wish him the best, sending him good vibes. Uh, hope he's feeling better and is back uh, playing shows soon. Um, this is like uh, this is something that I totally missed, uh, and I, we don't have to talk about this for very long. Yeah. But someone, my friend, texted me this morning, and he's like, "Have you heard the Weezer song where uh, they make fun of music critics?" and uh, this came out like two weeks ago. This was like an hour after we finished recording the episode for that week. Now, I re- I'm, I'm, he calls out Pitchfork. Yes. He calls out Pitchfork by name, he, Rivers Cuomo. Yeah, he really does. And, you know, it's it's. I'm glad you did bring this up because this past week what I've been doing is I've deleted Twitter off my phone and blocked it at work. And, you know, the one – like. I know that. Like, really, it, was this like a like a intervention type thing where you feel uh, like you run too much? Yeah, I mean, look, I've been feeling that way ever since I've been on Twitter. But 
you know, I'm like, <laughs> and, and I, and I, my mood immediately improves. Like I'm far more focused at work, but you know, the re and like, this is so humiliating for a 41 year old to explain to people around him. Like the reason I hadn't done it earlier is that like, I'm scared that I'll miss out on like certain news that like, I need to be on Twitter for my job. And lo and behold, you text me last night about, Hey, did you, should we talk about like Mark Hoppus getting like a cancer diagnosis? And I'm like, well, I had no idea. And lo and behold, like you missed this one from two weeks ago. So like, I, I got to be real, man. I'm going to continue down this path, but, uh, you, but it's good that we have a two person operation just so nothing falls through the net. Cause otherwise like our banter, but it did fall through the net because we haven't, this seems like this should have been discussed on our show already. And now it feels like old news Yeah, but like uh, it, at this point, it, dro- but. it dropped. Uh, it's, it's like when an album drops in like December and you don't know whether like it's too late for one year end list, but like you forget about it by the next one. This was like quite literally, like noon on Thursday. So it was the longest possible time before the next recording of IndieCast. So, but I mean, was, was this a big deal on, I, I did not see one mention of this at all. Uh, until literally my friend texted me this morning yeah. and he was saying like, Oh yeah. Like, are you going to reconsider your career now? Because <laughs> Rivers Cuomo was calling out music critics. And I was like, I assumed it was a new song, but then I looked it up and it was like, Oh, this is like from, Two weeks ago, like where was I when this dropped? I mean, Weezer put out has put a out a lot of music. Like, <laughs> yeah, have they put out like two records this yeah. year? Yeah, and look, we haven't talked about either one of them. Yes, we have. We did. Did we? I think I'm pretty. Sh- I'm pretty <laughs> sure we did. Like, I, I think that's saying a lot. We did talk about. I think we talked about the OK Human, the orchestral one. We did not talk about Van Weezer because. Why, like, let's, you know, not dignify two Weezer. Oh, look, I'm, like, falling into the trap, and next thing you know, there's going to be a, a Weezer song about IndieCast, and that. Oh, that'd be great. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah, actually, you, you know what? Let's listening? Be, I wouldn't put it past him, to be honest. <laughs> Someone said to Rivers, Rivers, we know you like Billions. There's this indie rock podcast where they talk about Billions a lot. It's yeah. called IndieCast. You should check it out. So yeah. Rivers is like, oh, that should be great. So he starts listening and all of a sudden yeah. he's like, what the fuck? They're like talking about, they're talking about me. Yeah, exactly. And also <laughs> like I, I reviewed OK Human. I did not review Van Weezer. So I'm like wondering, it's like, wait a minute. Is like, River, oh, wait. is Rivers Cuomo mad at like me? Whoa, 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 but, whoa. Wait, wait a second. So wait, you reviewed OK Human for Pitchfork? I did. So... He's obviously talking about you. This song is about you. Well, I mean, it could be any number. Like, it could be any number of, oh, pe- of people. I bet it's. A, I bet it's at least you. Yeah. Another, like, maybe, maybe like Sam Sodomsky. Did he write a review of a Wizard record? Probably. He might be in there. Yeah. Uh, maybe some other people. This is like. I I, I need that gif of uh, Tim Heidecker's. Uh, Mind being blown, not too much after the other dude, Eric, Eric Warham's yeah. mind being blown oh, no. right now because this adds another dimension yeah. to this story that you reviewed. Mm. Possibly, like this, this might have been the review that sent Rivers Cuomo over the edge because oh, Weezer's been because Weezer, I think. I think when uh, Pitchfork did their new uh search engine for the yeah. reviews, they, they they did like who has the lowest cumulative yeah, score, and Weezer was definitely and, one. 
Yeah, I think Weezer was maybe number one, or they were you know top five. Yeah, because I've reviewed they, I've reviewed quite a. It appears that I I'm looking at the archives. It, it appears that I've reviewed quite a few Weezer records over my. So it, there's strong circumstantial evidence yeah. that Rivers Cuomo wrote this song yeah. about you. Great. <laughs> this is you know that, this is unbelievable. Yeah, great. Like I'm I'm like going back to like 1995 me <laughs> and saying, hey, dude. River, like, here's the good news. Rivers Cuomo is going to write a, he's going to know you're alive and write a song about you. Oh, what's the downside? I'm, look, man, it's like, I'm, man, one year, you know, some years you get Proto Martyr, some years you get Weezer. It's just, you oh, know, man. That's just, Dude, that's just, just how it is. I'm just imagining like Rivers in the studio, you know, they're making okay, uh, human and they're like, okay. Ian Cohen's gonna like this. <laughs> this is gonna be our. This is gonna be our first, you know, BNM in a long time. Yeah. And then he reads it and is like, "What the fuck?" Well, you know, I can't make this guy happy. I'm gonna write a song I, about I, this. I, I, when I gave Pinkerton a ten when I reviewed it, like when I viewed the reissue, but also it appears I gave Death the False Metal a three point five in that very same review. So you might have been generous. Yeah, you might have been overly generous yeah. with that. What did OK Human get? Uh, I believe a five. It looks like a five point nine. Uh, well, you know, Rivers, yeah. you can't be too upset no. about that. Yeah, you can do a, you can do a lot worse. <laughs> Let's be honest, Rivers. Yeah. Do you think it's how much better than a 5.9? Who, who, do you think that record was? Who's to say? Yeah. Maybe, you know, I think... Well, Van Weezer got a lower score, so... Evan Re- what did Van Weezer get? At 5.8. So, Evan Rutluski, man, you know, you, you need to check... You, watch your back, man. Maybe that's about you. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe that was the last one. Yeah. Maybe they were like, oh, not. Man. Now, now even Ian Cohen isn't reviewing our records anymore. <laughs> like, oh, like, screw this. Yeah. I'm going to write a song about this. Oh, man. I, I, I'm glad I brought this up because I really feel like. This the, there's some uh, legitimacy to this yeah. theory that maybe Rivers Cuomo was thinking about you when he wrote that song. Outstanding. And which hats off to you, yeah. if that's the case. Yeah, like, I've, re- I've really I've, made my mark on this world. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we've been talking for several minutes about this uh, Weezer song that came out two <laughs> weeks ago, which is insane because this is like a easily the most stacked release day of the year yeah June or, 25th. or maybe of like several years i mean like i i've like kind of lost track of it of everything like the, you know lucy dacus we're obviously talking about that's like the big one but like there's also a lot of like kind of i don't want to say post boy genius but like a lot of artists where i'm thinking you know what if i were 25 and like really still at the bleeding edge of like popular indie rock like i would have no idea what to do with myself because there's you know faye webster who we'll talk about later there's you know two acts called squirrel flower and maple glider who are different bands but you know they're still kind of in that sort of folky like um sort of post tomberlin sort of vibe pom-pom squad who's now not beefing with olivia rodrigo but people are bringing up the similarities of her like death of a cheerleader uh sort of uh, you know, multimedia presentation with that of Olivia Rodrigo. So uh, there's all that was something that we could have talked about. Yeah, a little bit more. I don't know if we want to. We need to. We, we need to dip, gather dip. more information on that one. <laughs> Andy Cast investigation into that. Uh, yeah. Growing beef. Yeah. The uh, Rodrigo versus Pom Pom. Well, there. I think it's it Pom Pom Squad. Yeah, Pom Pom Squad. I think it's an it's an invented sort of beef because like people like look. I mean, cheerleader and high school. Like prom queen iconography are very, 
you know, prominent, like you're definitely not the first or the last will utilize it. And also it's just like, people were saying that Olivia Rodrigo's like more pop punk leaning songs were kind of similar to, uh, say pom pom squad or Illuminati hotties. So, I mean, it's people drawing from the same well of inspiration, but like, look, this is just how it is now. Um, you know, well, you know, what about whole celebrity skin? Yeah, I mean, exactly. you got the prom yeah. <laughs> imagery right there. The prom prom almost queen, like it's 30 years ago. Exactly. So, yeah, I mean, but that's, you know, those are albums that, like, in any... Let's live through this, not celebrity... Yeah. I'm sorry, I have to correct myself. Yeah. Let's live through this, not celebrity skin. Yeah, I... I sorry about yeah, that. Yeah, any given week, these would be, like, you know, the, the... I'd say, like, this is, like, the next generation of, like, bands that will appear on the, you know, 3 o'clock uh, indie rock slot on festivals. There's also Hiatus Coyote, who's, like, the little dragon, like, on every single festival type acts. There's... Spelling, who's like one of those acts where you they're on Sacred Bones and they sound like Kate Bush. So, you know, it's certain, you know, so there's that kind of artist. Also, Tyler, the creator, has a new album out, which is going to be bigger than all of these combined. But, you know, we still haven't heard that one yet. And also, like, Mountain Goats, His Golden Messenger. I mean, you know, I think it's hilarious that, like, all these bands that we've mentioned so far as being, uh, you know, the reason this is a, such a stacked week. Like, not a single one of them is just, like, a dude in a rock band. Um, you know, there's, yes, there's, like, His Golden Messenger and Mountain Goats and, like, all this other stuff that you would assume would be, like, indie cast core. But I, I think it just kind of speaks to um, how things have flipped just in the past couple of years where it's, like, yeah, this, like, you know, the a dude with a guitar is really not at all the, um, you know, the primary source of indie rock. Or just indie cultures. I mean, is the only... I'm trying to think of who are, like, the hyped guitar rock bands. And there's certainly bands... Of Ice that, Age, uh, of course. Well, I was going to say Ice Age, I think, is the one <laughs> that gets the, the dap from, like, a lot of these indie sites. Yeah. Which is a very <laughs> uh, interesting... Uh, predicament here um i'll shout out that yeah. his golden messenger record i think that's a that's a good record quietly blowing it that's coming out today I would, i'd recommend that mountain goats are interesting because they're they're probably the ultimate example of a band that i feel like i should love and i've tried yeah. with them and i respect what john what john Danielle does i think he's a good writer um but the albums just have not connected with me ever before um and i i hope that changes because they have a huge catalog and i and and i've tried uh with them uh but yeah it just hasn't really connected with me in the past so but good luck to them you know they have a new record they, yeah. they put out like four records in the last i think year and a half yeah they've been super busy yeah yeah i don't doubt that uh, i i do not doubt that uh john Danielle would get more prolific in uh COVID time yeah absolutely also also sh also shout to his golden messenger for like um for the fact that, uh, you know, he was in like a uh, Goleta, California screamo band called Ex Ignata. Um, I believe that's how it's pronounced. Like, I just think it's so fucking funny. The, uh, the screen, like the old school screamo to like chill country artist pipeline. You know, it's very real. Like I do want, like maybe like the guys in like Ogbert the Nerd or whatever are going to like make like very, uh, you know, stu very, very, uh, you know, sincere country rock. In like five years, so I'm like, what's his name? MC Taylor is that his name? I believe so. Um, yeah, I mean, he lives in North Carolina, so I I feel like if you're hanging out oh, in North yeah. Carolina, you you want to play an acoustic guitar at some point. I mean, it just seems like that would be a great yeah. environment to sit on your porch and write 
beautiful uh, country folk songs. I mean, I, I don't really want to scream my head off, I think, if I'm looking at mountains and beautiful green life and <laughs> all that sorts of things. You know, it's interesting to me that this is such a stacked day and uh, because it's inconvenient, for one thing, for people like us that are in the music criticism content creation business because looking ahead to July, you know, there's some fallow release days in, in that period. I think at I think at some point we're gonna we might have to talk about like a new Bare Naked Ladies album uh in July. Yo, are they ready for that? Cause like I feel like there's been like a reappraisal or like a refurbishing of like any like of every band possible. Like ska ska's happened, new metal, like bare naked ladies are like that is a that is it, that that is a, a long play to use the uh, the the billions terminology. I think that's how their, it is. Their, yeah. their upcoming album is called Detour de Force. Uh, I, I think oh. it comes out July 9th or maybe the sixteenth. Uh, so I don't. Know, maybe I've actualized us actually talking about the Bare Naked Ladies album on this show. I made it, I, I said that as a joke, but I think I've actually brought it into the world. This is like a Muse Second Law type situation i think with that album but anyway i just wonder if people were looking ahead and and thinking like well what's what's going to be a date where maybe we'll be coming out of covid and people will be ready to listen to new music again why don't we just throw (laughs) how about june 25th i think we'll probably be good by then and like everyone had that same idea so now you just get like a dozen records that we might otherwise have spent more time talking about on this show, but because there's so much coming out today that you know we can't maybe spend as much time as we would otherwise. I mean, do you do you find yourself like preferring days where there's just like a ton of music to listen to and like it just drums up like excitement to just be a music fan in general? Or is it like, no, this is too much. I'm going to like lose track of everything I want to listen to. Well, you know, I, I tend, I mean, I, I'm, I'm forced to pay attention to release dates because of the business I, I'm in. You know, this is the business I've chosen uh, to uh, quote Hyman Roth. But um, typically, when I'm just like a music fan, I don't really care that much about when music comes out. It's not as if, oh, it came out today, so I have to listen to it today. Um, and then never again after that. Yeah, you know, I, I kind of like the idea of having an album that like, Oh, this came out last month, but I've heard this is good. So now I'm going to devote my time to it. I know I've heard people talk about how, you know, among the things that are broken about music writing is that we're so fixated on release days and that it'd be nice to be able to write about albums a month or two later when you've had more time to listen to them and think about them, which I think sounds great in theory. The problem is, is that, um, it doesn't seem like people want to read that stuff. You know, it, it it's very hard to get the eyeballs on things, uh, on pieces that aren't tied to a, a release date. It's like we're all brainwashed by this promo cycle, and that includes readers, too. Or else you just look like you're behind the times, like like us talking about the Weezer song <laughs> two weeks late. Yeah. Um, so I don't know, but we'll see. I mean, there's lots of music coming out today. We might not get to it all, but. I definitely won't. <laughs> Life is long. We can catch up with it uh, at some other point. Uh, but for now, we have to get to our mailbag segment. And uh, if, ah, if yes. you want to write us a, an email, we always love hearing from you. You can reach us at IndieCastMailbag.com. Uh, uh, please hit us up. I wanted to talk about this reader question, which, by the way, comes from Nick in Boston. Um, have we had a Boston person 
I don't know if we have. I don't think so. Might be, might be yeah. the first Bostonian. It, 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 would, it seems like the sort of town that we'd be popular in. Oh, absolutely. I'm surprised that we haven't had a yeah. Bostonian yet. Maybe we have. We just didn't remember. But um, I wanted to pick this one because uh, Nick is asking about the Just Like Heaven Festival, which uh, that was popping up on Twitter uh, this yes. week. Lots of jokes about this lineup uh, because it's... I mean, it's essentially like a millennial oldies <laughs> festival in a way you could say. Uh, I mean, you have you have Modest Mouse, The Shins, both bands that we talked about. Interpol. We talked about Modest Mouse and The Shins on our last episode. Uh, like MIA. Uh, I don't have the festival lineup in front of me, but it it's all yeah. It's got Wolf per- Wolf Parades doing uh, the uh, apologies to the Queen Mary Ooh. Uh, in full. Yeah, I mean, the, you got. Uh, Franz Ferdinand, Chromio, Santi Gold, cut copy the Hives. Uh, I mean Islands, uh, the Ravenettes, Peaches, the Go Team, the Cribs, Island. Like I mean, this is it. It what what a lineup. Yeah, you know? and I made a joke about it. I think my joke was that it's called just like heaven because when an old millennial dies, this is the festival that they see in heaven, <laughs> right? Uh, but just because I made a joke about it doesn't mean that I wouldn't go to this festival uh you can make self-deprecating jokes about being old and also enjoy this music i don't think that's mutually exclusive but anyway let's read read this question he's um it's a long letter so i'm gonna i'm gonna edit it a little bit here in real time he's just talking about how he listened to like a lot of older albums during covid just for a sense of comfort then he brought up this festival and he said full disclosure full disclosure I'm a 33-year-old white guy, so the Just Like Heaven Festival is very much my shit. When the festival was originally announced back in 2019, the refrain on Music Critic Twitter was very similar to this time around. A a bunch of low-hanging fruit jokes interspersed with a few begrudging admissions of wanting to attend. Uh, To be clear, any and all joking about this festival lineup is completely fair game. And even as someone who definitely will attend this festival... Or I would if I didn't live 3,000 miles away. I am at least self-aware enough to acknowledge how profoundly uncool this thing is. <laughs> so my question is, are there any bands, albums somewhere on the scale from profoundly uncool to didn't age well that provide you a sense of escapism? Uh, keep up the great work with the podcast. So he's asking, like, what is the uncool music that we listen to for escapism? That's the yeah. question there. But he also brought up this festival uh, yeah. which people were joking about. Um, but, I, I mean, I feel like you and I are on the same page with this. We've talked about this in the past with music festivals. That for me, for me personally, you know, music festival, it's not a great place really to see a band. You can't hear it very well. It's crowded. Sound lines are bad. Typically, for me, it's more about the atmosphere. You go there because it's a good time. Like, the best festivals I've been right. to just had the best vibe. It was in a cool setting. You were with a good group of people. Uh, maybe, you know, they were good drink deals or whatever. Um, so in that environment, I tend to want comfort food. Because uh, yeah. I, I just want to hear songs I know. I want to have a good time. If it's a if it's a new band, I want to see them in a club. I want to see them in a theater so I can actually hear what they're doing. But if I'm just at a festival, like this lineup sounds perfect to me. Because like I'm going to know a lot of songs. I'm going to get excited to hear songs. Uh, and... Uh, yeah, I think it's what you want. I, and I'm sure this festival, like, did it sell out? or I mean, it's doing really well, isn't it? Yeah. When, when I went in 2019, like, people, it, the same exact thing happened. It was, um, uh, yeah, 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 it's played as did Phoenix, MGMT, Passion Pit. And, like, 
it, the lineup got released. People were like, ha, 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 like what a bunch of, what a, like LOL, Pitchfork Fest 2009, but in 2019. It sold out so quickly in its first weekend. They actually had a second weekend. And I went, and it was a good time, man. It's like, like, like we've talked about with many festivals, the ones that real usually like suck are the ones that try to like recreate Coachella without the, you know, without, without the destination appeal, without the, you know, the finances and so forth. And, um, you know, a, I, I'm so, like, this was a good time. It was, yes, like people in their thirties, like feeling like they were seen, but also there were a lot of young people as well, because I mean, like. You have to you have to recognize like maybe these are the bands that they liked at twelve years old, you know, because many people are like, oh, this is what I listened to in college. But you know, there's always the younger, cooler generation, and it was just a good vibe all around. Um, well, these are like classic about rock that. bands too, like Interpol. I mean, in Modest Mouse. I mean, we talked about Modest Mouse last week. They put out their first record in 1996. Like, if you were born yeah. in the year 2000, you know, they're like you yeah. too to you i'm sure you know what i mean like it's, <laughs> yeah, it's a exactly. similar type of vibe. they've been they've been around your whole life so maybe this is the first time they're like oh i love the lonesome crowded west this is the first time i get to see modest mouse this is going to be great or i love turn on the bright lights and i'm going to finally get to see them yeah in the same way i was excited to see yeah. the rolling stones when i was 16 even though like they were in their mm-hmm. 50s just like all these bands now are approaching 50 yeah i just i just really wonder with these like what people are trying to get across when they if they talk about like how lame it is for like you know people who are like 35 to 45 to be actually enjoying the music they grew up on i mean the one thing i was wondering about though is how the bands themselves feel about it like i was kind of told on the low that in 2019 like none of the bands were really made aware of like what the concept of the festival was and you could kind of tell as they were playing like so i know peter bjorn and john were like super like come see us play two hours tomorrow night instead of five minutes because they were playing san diego the next night but i think or grizzly bear like some bands were like kind of bummed out that it was like this nostalgia fest but um yeah i'm just i'm happy that it's back it's near me. It's at the Rose Bowl. So, you know, I'm definitely going to go. Um, yeah. And also as far as like the stuff that I listen to for a sense of escapism, I found that I'm so critic mind that I can't really turn off like everything that I'm listening to. I'm like, can this be reassessed? Can this be like, <laughs> right? you know, it's always an angle. But now nowadays I find myself when I'm really want to escape, I listen to like early 90s or like mid 90s electronic music, be it like orbital or like boards of canada because in some ways it sounds like dated because the electronic music evolved so quickly but it just provides me the escapism of like thinking about if what what would have happened if i had like turned into like a raver in high school because that was a very real possibility i had some friends who were putting me on to apex twin and chemical brothers and they ended up you know getting going to the university of vermont for college and i think getting into hard drugs it's like Man, maybe what if I was listening to like rave music instead of Weezer? Where would my life have taken me? Yeah, exactly. You know? It's a fork in the road type situation or sliding doors uh, situation. Yes, exactly. With electronic music. Yeah, I was going to say in regards to the escapism question, um, I feel like my brand as a music critic, and I think this is true for you too, Ian, as well, is that like we tend to write about artists that are considered uncool and we defend them. You know, like that's that's the yeah. we've both have spent a big part of our careers doing that. So it's not really even things that I would do on the down low. I feel like this is front loaded in what I do as a writer. So I don't know if that question really applies. I mean, the, the, the closest thing that I have to what you're talking about, where you're listening to these 
electronic records from the 90s is that I've been on this kick where I listen to boomer rock from the 80s on cassette. Like when I get done working, I have like a little half hour decompressed time where I put on headphones and I'll listen to like Building the Perfect Beast by Don Henley or I'm Alive by <laughs> Jackson Brown. Basically like all of this like, uh, you know, corporate soft rock that like Tom Bryan in his stereo gum column, which I'm sure everyone <laughs> who listens to us, they read that column. It's a very beloved column. Yeah, shout, shout out, out to Tom Bryan. But he always shits on that stuff, like Steve Winwood or like uh, any of that corporate rock from 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 the eighties. I respect that though. Tom's got he has his Tom, point of view. Tom's got like some hate. Yeah, he's got some hater opinions, which I respect the hell out of because those are really hard to. But find I have to say, like whenever I, I see that, I'm I'm always like I want to reach out to Stereo Gum and you know if there's some sort of uh, like equal time provision. In music criticism, if, <laughs> if I could have like a chance to re- rebut what Tom is saying, because I know that every time there's going to be like a soft rock number one, that Tom's going to hate it, and yeah. I'm like, come on, man, higher love, Steve Winwood, think about it. There must be higher <laughs> yes. love. I mean, come on, I want to be able to defend those lame guys in like sports jackets uh, who are like 45 and having number one <laughs> songs in, in the 80s. Uh, so open invitation to Stereo Gum, by the way. Bring me on. I want to do a little uh, counterpoint to Tom uh, for his column so I can defend the lame uh, corporate rockers of the 80s uh, on that site. So the, anyway, that would be the closest thing for me to escapism. But again, I think anyone who like follows me or listens to the show would not be surprised that I, from time to time, listen to Building the Perfect Beast on cassette in my office for enjoyment. That seems very much probably what people would expect from me. Um, let's move on to the meat of our episode. We have three records here that we're going to be talking about. The big record, I guess, certainly in indie rock circles coming out today is Home Video by Lucy Dacus. This is her third record. Uh, of course, Lucy Dacus uh, is a singer-songwriter originally from Richmond, Virginia. Uh, she uh, really started to become known, I think, with her second record, Historian, which came out in 2018. Uh, a little bit after that, she joined Boy Genius with uh, Julian Baker and Phoebe Bridgers, and that really raised her profile. Um, and I would say, you know, if we're looking at the personality types in Boy Genius, you know, Julie, Julian Baker is the emotionally intense, cathartic member of the band. Phoebe Bridgers, I think, is the most charismatic member of the band, certainly the biggest star at this point. But I think that with home video... Lucy Dacus has really established herself as the best writer of her cohort. And I think really like one of the best songwriters of, of her generation. And I think what uh, really sets her apart as a writer is her ability as a storyteller. Uh, you, you listen to her songs, and I wrote about this in my review, that I think there's like a cinematic quality to a lot of her songs. Like you can, you can hear them and you can see them unfold in your head. They're, she's very good at describing scenes uh, in her songs, the, the, I think maybe the most uh, praised or or loved track from Home Video is the song "Thumbs" that she's been performing live for a few years, yeah. where she describes this meeting between a friend of hers and her wayward father. Uh, that uh, again, you hear the song and you can just see it unfold in your mind. It's very well drawn. It it feels like a short story or 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 a film, and um, I think that. She has really come into her own as a writer 
on this record. Um, and I think it is her best record. I think another thing that separates this record for me from her past work is that if, if there's been a weakness to Lucy Dacus's previous records is that I think musically she's not quite as strong as she is as a lyricist. Sometimes musically it feels a little flat, not a whole lot going on in the production or not a whole lot of dyna- dynamism going on. Um, and I think that she's closed that gap on home video. I think that the music is stronger on this record. I, I think about that song Night Shift from Historian, which is the first song, yeah. which I think is clearly the best song in that record, musically. Uh, it really grabs you. It has more of a, like a big rock sound, more anthemic. And I think she's leaning into that more on this new record uh, t- to really good effect. Uh, but I think in the end, it really does come back to her writing. I think the lyrics on this record are really strong, and she really is like one of my favorite lyricists of of, the, of this generation. I think she's really kind of stepped into that, like, you know, John Prine, Jason Isbell type lane with this, with, with this record with, and, and I bring up Jason Isbell deliberately because you have a different relationship to Jason Isbell than I do. I'm a big fan. You're not as much, but you would compare her to Isbell too, maybe in a negative way. Um, yeah, just more in the sense that like before this record, it was like Lucy Dacus songs, like, you know, they have like great lyrics and they read really well on the page. It's similar to Jason Isbell, but like, there's just something about the music that strikes me as being a little bit flat where, um, you know, it just, it's so obviously meant to like pull at your heartstrings and so forth that it seems just obvious is the wrong word, but it's like, I, I, I think it, it's just in general with a lot of like indie rock these days, a lot of it is so predicated on like the personality and the lyrics that if like you don't immediately connect to that it's a little hard to um you know it's a little hard to like find other things to find other ways in but you know with with lucy dacus i think that and sort of like jason isbell what reminds me uh her of you know at least his status is that people really seem to root for her in the same way that like people really want to see like jason isbell succeed um and you know that's another I mean, we could have several episodes about the way uh, fandom or just like criticism in the modern day is like more about like having rooting interests, you know, Um, because I think that like, you know, like Lucy Dacus, very likable person, like on Twitter, very entertaining account. Um, You know, it's it's good to see them succeed. And also, it's just kind of funny to view her as an underdog when in reality like she's on matador she has like a she's like very very successful in a lot of ways like i remember seeing some tweets about um from like this record store clerk about how the boy genius galaxy was basically keeping their store alive with vinyl sales during covid um i mean do you think that like people in these days like have conversations about like you know, like a three-person friend group, like which one of us is the Phoebe and which one of us is the Julian or, you know, like as far as like personality profiles or, I mean, is this like, what are we seeing like just like Heaven 2032 playing out right now where this is like what strokes and Interpol and the Shins I are now? I think so. I mean, it was funny because you, you made a comment earlier about how like none of the people that we're talking about in this episode are like dude guitar bands, which... For the longest time, yeah. you know, have dominated indie rock discourse, and really in the last, you know, three, four, five years, th- that's totally, I think, for the most part, gone away. I mean, obviously, there's still dude guitar bands, and and, and there's bands that do well <laughs> yeah. critically, but in terms of uh, the artists that really command the spotlight, 
in indie rock, it's been female singer songwriters. Uh, you know, and, and yeah. I mean th- that's clearly like the mode that we're in. So yeah, if you're gonna liken it to the early aughts where you had like the return of rock revolution with all these you know throwback rock bands yeah. from New York, the equivalent now would be the Boy Genius Crew. Uh, you know, Mitski. Uh, you know, Japanese yeah, breakfast. Japanese breakfast. Um, you know, yeah. Big Thief is in there to some degree. Oh, Adrian Linker, like everything she's doing. Um, like that is where the juice is. And I think, yeah, in 20 years when people reference this era of indie rock, like, that is what they're going to talk about. Yeah, they're going to look at that Mayor of Easttown episode where uh, the they go to the boy or they talk about going to the boy genius show. And that's going to be like, you know, put this on like when when you hear new slang in Garden State. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. And, you know, and I, again, I mean, yeah. I think, um, I mean, I don't always want to just compare the Boy Genius crew to each other, although, again, they are a peer group, and it's a natural thing to it's do. It's kind of hard not and, to. Um, and yeah. it, it is interesting to see. They're also on each other's records. Right. I mean, it's it's hard. It's, like, impossible Yeah, I mean, there's to. that thing of, like, well, you always compare women to other women. That's, like, a critical cliche that can be a sexist thing. But I don't think that's really true here just because, again – they are so closely aligned and they are part of this thing in indie rock. Like they're at the vanguard of indie rock. I mean, they are at the top. So in the same way that you would talk about the strokes and Interpol and, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. As being, uh, you know, contemporaries, it's natural to talk about it here. And, um, and I, I think the reason why people talk about Lucy being an underdog, even though, as you said, she has, she's on Matador. She's, uh, I mean, there's been a million interviews with her this week. I mean, she's very well covered and very well regarded, is that she just has an unassuming manner about her. Uh, and it is, I think, with her, you know, she is an autobiographical songwriter, but I, I do think that there's like a literary quality in a way to what she's doing uh, that people respond to. And, and maybe it feels like uh, it's more about the music with her than with other people. I hate using that phrase, but you know what I mean, that there's something very, like it's about the work with her. Um, where, um, you know, Phoebe Bridgers is obviously a very serious songwriter. I mean, she's very committed to what she's doing. There's a lot of craft in what she's doing. But there's also, like, a lot of other stuff with her uh, that I think makes her very entertaining. I, I, I'm a fan of Phoebe. I feel like there's maybe a little bit of fatigue with her out there just because she's been so ubiquitous in the media. But, like, I, I, I tend to like it when she pops up. I think she's really funny and entertaining. Um, so, uh, yeah, I don't know about that whole thing but regardless this is a really good record i think you like this record too more than you have her previous records i do yeah i i do like it um you know i i some like when i've had a discussion with some people they're like saying yeah this sounds like the sort of thing i might hear in a supermarket but to me that's like kind of a positive thing with like the synthesizers and the propulsion of it it's like it it, it kind of reminds me more of like you know phoebe bridger's like kyoto like if you're gonna like that that's sort of the mood that uh, this album is in, and you know, like because before it was like I found like like you, I found it a little bit flat musically, a little too singer songwritery. But um, you know, this is an album I could probably just like enjoy even if I'm not paying attention to the lyrics. And of course, I'm gonna like pay attention to the lyrics. I do like the fact that a lot of it is from the perspective of someone who's like in Christian youth group or like Christian. Uh, camp, which is, you know, because my fiance was like in that realm, um, you know, it, it, it's opened up a, a huge, a, a huge hole for me to like understand this part of indie rock and emo that is talked about so much. By the way, I gotta, it, I gotta use this part of the episode to 
point out the fact that I am now in a dual podcast household. My fiance is uh, does have a new podcast about the business of massage. It's called In Session: The Business of Massage oh, look, with Micah and look Nelly. At you. Look at you! Yeah, look at you! Look at you working yeah. the plug for your fiance. What a what 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 a what a partner you are! Plug in your partner's podcast. Yeah, we are we are we are a two podcast. Wow, household, that's beautiful. So. Um, well, good <laughs> luck to her on her podcast. Um, yeah. yeah, I mean. The Vacation Bible School, there's a song on there called VBS uh, that is like a really good song. Yeah, I mean, I think with Lucy, uh, I mean, she's really bristled at being described as like a sad girl indie artist. Like that's been a recurring thing in interviews that she's done. Yeah, I Don't Want to Be Funny Anymore was like the first song on her first record. Yeah, but, I mean, I think she bristles at that because her songs actually are quite funny. I yeah. Mean, there's, like a tra- there's like a tragic comic aspect to a lot of her songs where there's... Um, heartbreak going on but she's also really good with one-liners and uh and she has really funny observations the one that stood out is like you know i think it's like you call me cerebral and i just wanted to be called pretty or something like that that kind of like yeah. ties back to uh i don't want to be funny anymore which you know goes along with like why she's seen as an underdog because a lot of people would exactly. you know they get that you know and uh so yeah i think that just adds another layer to her songs that i really like a lot so yeah home video for me great record yeah. Uh, definitely check that out. Uh, our next album that we want to talk about, this has not gotten quite, hasn't gotten nearly as much hype as the Lucy Dacus record. But for me, the, this is one of the, uh, one of my favorite albums that have come out in the last couple months. Um, I guess it's coming out today. I've had it for a month or two, so it feels like it's been out for a while. But I'm excited for everyone else to hear it. It's called A Color in the Sky. It's by a band called Lightning Bug. And uh, this is a band that like you might be aware of. They put out a record, I think it was... Um, two years was ago, like, was it two years ago? Twenty nineteen is October song, and um, I I think it got well reviewed. I think Pitchfork gave it an eight point oh or or something like that, but um, it, it wasn't hugely hyped. And um, I actually have a feature on this band that is up today. So you want to go to uprocks.com and read my interview with the leader of this band, um, in the in the main songwriter Audrey Kang, who's a very interesting person. Uh, but anyway, she talked about in our interview about how the band was, she thought the band was over after their previous record. And there was quite a bit of like uh, strife within the band. Uh, and she talks about this in the interview. Um, like she was, um, she used to date one of the members in the band and they broke up. Um, I think they brought in some new people. Like this, this new record is the first time that they've actually like, m- like made a record together in the same room. Otherwise it was just, doing overdubs and adding stuff before. Um, but this is like a real band record. And there, it sounds like, it seems like there's like quite a bit of drama in the band as this record was being made. And, and Audrey actually said in our interview that it's like painful for her to listen to this record for that reason, because it's a pretty personal and, and, and bruising type album. But if you don't know any of that backstory, uh, I think you can appreciate this as just like one of the most beautiful indie rock records uh, of 2021. Um, and they've been described as like a shoegaze band, but I think they moved beyond that on this record. This is almost like a um, like a laid back, like almost like Mazzy Star type record, sounding record at times to me. Yeah, and you know the interesting thing is that like Mazzy Star is like one of the most like abused sounds in indie rock over the past several years. Maybe not as like much as it was several years ago, but like the whole like Lynchian Matt like there were so many bands that were like like pulling for Mazzy Star to the point where it was just like 
it just kind of washes over me, like regardless of how good it is. But um, in a weird way, like maybe it's just the fact that like time has been compressed so much. Uh, it actually sounds kind of fresh to me. Um, and it's very, I'm surprised about like the drama and so forth that went into this because what uh, strikes me is just how narrative free this album really is. Like it's not, you know, like you can lean into the lyrics, but it's not like, you know, a personality in the same way that say, you know, like Faye Webster or like Phoebe Bridgers is like, it's a band as opposed to like a singular uh, personality. And, you know, the, I think the last album October song was a bit more uh, shoegazy, but this one is like kind of shoegazy by association in a way that I find like very pleasing because like, look, I love shoegaze, but like there is just so much of it and it's so much of it sounds like hum or like, you know, heavy kind of Deftone style shoegaze. But this one, you know, I think what this band does in a way reminds me a bit of like Wild Pink um, in the just kind of very vast sound. Even though they're from New York, it has this very vast kind of southwestern open skies, like lay on, like lay in a valley and just like stare at the stars um, uh, sort of thing to it, which, you know, is great. Um, it's an album I could throw on whenever. I don't need to, you know, really connect with this idea of like what it says about me in the way that I have to with a lot of indie rock. And yeah, my, my, my whole thing is like bands like this are really, really hard to stump for in 2021. And you just wonder like, what would it take for this album to get the attention that, you know, it deserves? It's like, is there space for a band that just kind of makes very beautiful, well-considered music? Uh, without any sort of like, you know, hook of personality. Yeah, I mean, I think we're doing what we can on this show, and I and I wrote about this record this week, uh, and because I think it is a really just just beautiful record, and like you said, uh, it, it maybe doesn't have the big sexy narrative hook that is going to get the bulk of the music media behind it, but I think it has it where it counts. They're really good songs, and. Uh, your point about you know, like a lot of bands hopping on that Mazzy Star sort of smoky, slow, psychedelic sound. To me, it's like a lot of bands do that, but a lot of bands don't do it well. And I think that like when a band does it well, it means to me that it's actually standing out and it sticks in my mind. And it's not just kind of going one in one ear and out the other. And this is a record uh, that has really gotten under my skin. And uh, I, I really like it a lot. And I think it is... This is actually a, a really well-timed record uh, coming out in, in June. This is an album you want to put on at dusk in the summertime and uh, watch the sun go down and let this record just wash over you. I mean, I think it has that kind of vibe. And it's an album that I think I really believe that if people actually hear this record and give it a chance, that, that they will very likely enjoy it. Um, it. It's a very well-made record. Again, it's called The Color in the Sky. The band is called Lightning Bug. record is out today. I highly recommend it. Uh, our last record we're going to talk about is Faye Webster. I know I'm funny, haha. I have to say, I have not really spent a lot of time with this record, so I don't have a whole lot to say about it. I'm curious, like, are you into this record? Yeah, it's interesting because to me, like, Faye Webster is someone who has like the pot- like uh, the potential to be on the level of like Lucy Dacus or like Phoebe Bridgers or um, you know Julian Baker. Um, in a way, this album makes me think of Lana Del Rey in the sense that it's very slow and luxurious and uh, funny in ways that are a bit subtle. I mean, the album title in and of itself. But it's like, imagine if like 
Lana Del Rey was like from the Atlanta suburbs as opposed to like playing on the, uh, you know, the L.A., uh, like the glamour of Los Angeles. Like there's one song uh, on the new Faye Webster album where she talks about like buying someone the same base as like uh, the guy in Lincoln Park. She actually says like the guy, one the Lincoln Park has, which is, by the way, uh, a Stingray Music Man base. That's the same base I have. So, you know, that, that, that was, a, it, it was one of the rare times where like, yes, I identify with this, but, um, yeah, I, <laughs> I speak in your language. Exactly. And I think with this record, um, this, it, I, I, in some ways, like maybe it gets like overshadowed by everything that comes out, but I know that a lot of people are like super into this artist because even if it is kind of in, in the same sort of galaxy as like what's popular right now. I know Faye Webster kind of comes from more of like a hip hop background. I know she was like a photographer for a lot, like acts like father and awful records. And so, um, you know, it's, it's an album that like, if I were 25 and like hanging out by pools more often, perhaps like I would buy more (laughs) with it. And I mean that in the most positive way. It's like, I listen to this and it's like, fuck man like you get you kind of see the generation gap where you know if your life is a little bit more dramatic um or you know there's a lot more um kind of misunderstandings and social situations because you're going out more and having more social situations like this is the kind of album that you're quoting on twitter or something along those lines so i think at the end of the year of all the albums that we talk about today this is the one that just might rank the highest on year end lists oh i'm curious to see if that plays out yeah Yeah. i mean uh i like your called shot here we'll have to remember this someone will have to mark this episode and then we'll bring it up in six months like when we're doing year end lists faye webster you've been put on notice yes also i I noticed that like i was about to say like oh you know they're that like with the personality and so forth but like i i went to their twitter account they haven't posted anything since 2020 man Well, okay. Well, maybe she'll mention this episode. Yes. We've now reached the part of the episode that we call Recommendation Corner, where Ian and I talk about something that we're into this week. Ian, why don't you go first? Yeah, so I I can't believe I'm saying this, but like... This this goes to show you what like contempt prior to investigation does, but I, I'm I'm here to recommend the new King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard album. Now, mind you, nice. I, I do recognize that another like five more could drop by the time we this episode actually publishes, but the one I'm talking about is Butterfly Three Thousand. And look, I just assumed this band was on some like you know Ty Siegel type psych rock shit, and I put on this new one just because like prior to this past week there was like a couple of really fallow weeks and i was just shocked how pretty this one is it's a lot of like sequence synthesizers and reminds me of like bands from the 2000s like oneida or or like dunyan or what have you where there's just like a real playfulness it's like not really just about like you know recreating like psychedelic rock from 1971 but you know the lyrics the lyrics are like kind of stupid but whatever it's mostly in falsetto so i can't hear it but the music itself is really interesting and like i'm like oh my god am i like i toe dipping into being a king gizzard guy like is like we're just gonna do tv recaps and king gizzard this is how indycast is going to pivot (laughs) in the second half of 2021 so you know 
this is a band that I really appreciate. I definitely want to see them live because I've heard great things about their live show. Their albums I still have not connected with yet, but um, I'm going to give this one a shot because they make so many that one yeah. of their albums I'm going to end up loving one of these days. Um, I want to talk about another album that comes out today. Uh, one of the many. It's called The Veiled Sea. It's by Six Organs of Admittance. Uh, this is a musical project by the American guitarist Ben Chasney. Uh, he's put out uh, 20 records under this name. This is the 20th coming out today. This is a big album, depending on where you are in Twitter. That uh, like I, I follow a lot of people in the jam community, in the indie jam sort of nexus there uh the uh uh i guess you could call them like the aquarium drunkard twitter perhaps maybe that's like a, that's like on that twitter this is like maybe the biggest album of the week and uh this is a really strong record uh you know six words of admittance records tend to be kind of all over the map some of them are a little folkier than others some are more sedate this is definitely on the noisier end of the spectrum for his records a lot of very scronky distorted sounding guitar solos on this record that just kind of go on for like six or seven minutes um songs songs that don't have like a lot of uh vocals necessarily um but um just like a really good kind of noisy record and i i'm tempted to call it like a rock and roll record although it, it feels a little bit more esoteric than that it's just kind of beautiful noise uh in combination with like a real kind of visceral power uh coming across on this record so um you know, if, if if you've listened to this episode, you know we're talking a lot about singer-songwriter records. You know, more kind of low-key albums. If you want something just noisy, put on the Veiled Sea. I think you're really gonna like it. Again, that's by Six Ordens of Admittance. That is out today, uh, so go check that out. Um, that about does it for this episode of IndieCast. Uh, thank you again for listening. We'll be back with more news and reviews and hashing out trends next week. And if you're looking for more music recommendations, sign up for the Indie Mixtape Newsletter. You can go to uprocks.com backslash indie, and I recommend five albums per week, and we'll send it directly to your email box.